Welcome to episode 128 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is completing his last days of his current job with our fine mm-hmm. seminary, John Scott Sloat. Yeah, by the time this drops, I think I'll be like four hours left. Yeah. Moving over to the advancement team. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It's happening. So still working with the seminary, obviously. And yeah. Keeping your hands involved in several seminary things. Oh, I like my fingers in a lot of pies, Matt. <laughs> Indeed. Both literally Indeed. and figuratively. Yes. I like my fingers in a lot of pies. Yes. Yes. So, so how was your weekend, John? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, I had spent a good part of the week traveling. Uh, yeah. So I had been in uh, Arizona. And so some of it was recuperating from from that trip. And then some of it was yard work, things yeah. like that. How about you? How did the uh, jet lag hit you? That's three hours, right? Phoenix is is Western uh, Pacific time? It's yes, three, yes. Yeah. They don't do daylight savings there. So oh. depending on the time of year you get there. Uh, it was It was a – it was okay. Uh, going out there, uh, I think I woke up at 3.30, yeah. you know, and then, you, you know, you just stay up a little bit later than you normally would. And then I was I – was, coming back was easy. Okay. No problems. Yeah. How was, uh, how was the weekend for you? Uh, it was good. Pretty, pretty quiet, pretty laid back, which was um, – which was nice. Which was mm-hmm. nice. Um, you know, during the school year for both Kate and I – uh, we, we feel like we're going at a pretty fast pace. And so sometimes it can almost feel a little jarring to mm-hmm. have, a, have slow weekends where you're like, we really don't have anything that has to get done or that we have to go to. That um, So both, both Kate and I can sometimes uh, struggle to slow down and enjoy and relax yeah. and feel that pressure. Well, well, I should be doing something. Like, I, no, it's, it's not really all right if I read a book here, take a nap don't have anything on my agenda that I have to do today. Yeah. I was rooting for rain on Saturday for the nap. Uh, that would have been <laughs> – instead of mowing, I think I would have yeah. napped and I would have enjoyed that. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, if you'd like to reach out to the show and talk to John about lawn care advice, you can find him on Twitter. Actually, find us on Twitter. You can find him on Twitter as well. I'm on there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can find us at VNSPod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook and we are on uh, YouTube as well. We would greatly appreciate if you left a review and a five-star rating on whatever platform you choose to access the show. Well, we've got a, a full show here. So, John, we should jump right into the sports update. Yes, Yes. Have you watched any of the NBA finals? Just highlights. Okay. Just highlights. It's it starts. What what time do those games start? It's nine like, o'clock at night. Yeah, that's that's a that's a wind down <laughs> time of the evening for me. It's. I, I feel like that's being generous. I feel like that's when you're actually like in bed. I'm in bed. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But it's it's probably ten o'clock before I fall asleep. Okay, gotcha. Well, uh, so we're recording on a Monday. Hmm. And as we record, the series stands at two games apiece. Um, but by the time this episode drops, game five will have happened and one 
of these teams will be leading three games to two. Um, so uh, one of the things I've enjoyed about this series, I really don't like either team. So mm-hmm. I'm more rooting against Golden State than I am rooting for the Celtics. Uh, I... I I've appreciated the fact, I've enjoyed the fact that, for the most part, Draymond Green has been terrible. Hmm. You see, I, feel, I think I'm the other way in this series. I think I'm rooting against the Celtics. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I, I can live with that. Um, it, it's been – here's what's been disappointing. I think for the, the most of the NBA playoffs, there hasn't been a lot of really close games. Even in the finals here, like all the games have been – like the final margins have been around 10 points at least. So it's yeah. like – There's not know, a last-second shot Exactly. Or There's like not that. the high-stakes drama that comes down to the last you know, minute where you're like, oh, this is a two-point game. Could, could go either way. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, How are the ratings? Any idea? Have you I, heard? Well, I, the – for game one, I think it was the lowest-rated game one in 15 years. Okay. Trying to think what was happening 15 years ago that would have caused low ratings. So this is 2022, 2007. I don't even remember who, was, who would be in the finals then. Yeah, maybe that's a reason. Yeah, <laughs> was that bad? Yeah, though. I look. I this uh, part of me wonders. It may not be this, but at the end of the conference finals, there was. Um, that was right around the time there were a couple of. Um, Shootings, mass shootings. Hmm. And at both – this was in the conference finals. In both of the conference final games that I watched in the aftermath of that, they went out of their way to make a political statement. Please contact your senators, your congressional representatives and advocate for common sense gun laws or whatever. Like, I don't think the NBA has learned its lesson that when it goes political, mm-hmm. it hurts itself in terms of ratings. So I, I wonder if part of that's the reason. I mean I, I know that that – I'm convinced that's a major part of the NBA's struggles over the past couple of seasons is they've gone so overtly political that it's getting in the way of people. Like, well, I don't, I, I don't come to sports to be preached at. I come to sports to escape that. I think it's a far more simplistic answer. The Knicks are no good. <laughs> if the Knicks were amazing, the ratings would be through the roof. Well, it would help to get – you know. The largest the media largest, market in the country. Yeah, yeah. Lakers so. Knicks finals. I mean, you're, it's it's going to be insane. Yeah, yeah. Though Boston's not a small market. No, no. But it's a, uh, it's a, uh, yeah. It's 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 not New York. Okay. Well, speaking of New York. Yeah. Let's talk about your Mets. Yeah. So we had a West Coast swing. Uh, so we went five and five against two very good teams and one struggling team. Okay. Uh, so split with the Dodgers, two, two and two. Uh, we lost to the Padres, but had some injuries along the way um, that uh, that I think hurt us. And then those injured players came back for the series against the Los Angeles Angels, and we won. So uh, the hard part in our division, though, is the Braves have won 11 in a row. Okay. And so now we're only five and a half games up. All right, still a little cushion the, there, though. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit of cushion. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the Angels. There was something yeah. interesting, that ha- interesting that happened with the Angels this uh, this weekend. So they fired their manager. Mm-hmm. Joe Madden. Yes. Famous for – I mean he, he managed the Cubs. When they won the World Series. To their Series. World Series. Yeah. And was with the, the Tampa the, Bay the Rays, Rays as before well. that. So he, yeah. he's, he's obviously a very good manager. But uh, the Angels had been struggling and uh, 
in an effort to try to change the the vibe, he decided I'm going to try to fire my team up by getting a mohawk, mm-hmm. which is classic Joe Madden. Yeah, if, if you know he's Joe a Madden, off the wall, yeah. Little, little, yeah, he's a quirky guy. Yeah. yeah, the only problem is is that almost immediately after he got the mohawk and before he could reveal it to his team, he was fired. So he got fired with a mohawk. With a mohawk that he never got to use for motivational purposes for his hmm. team. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It, only in baseball. Yeah. Like can you like, – that, that's not going to happen in the NFL. That's not going to happen in the NBA. No. No. But in baseball, it's like, oh, yeah. What's the big deal? Like it's it's no like – Yeah. I don't think that would happen in the NFL. <laughs> Certainly not the NBA. Like I'm trying to imagine like Rick Patino or – yeah. One of these uh, Italian coaches with the slick back hair uh, doing this. Or even Popovich. Popovich. No way. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. So anyway, that, I, I just found that amusing. Uh, but you have uh, another sports-related um, – Yes. I'll, I'll keep this brief uh, for you. I was uh, at my conference in Phoenix. And there is a group that often gets plugged at these conferences called Made to Flourish. Um, we've had some conversations with them. One of their honchos who was, who was there that I got to speak with for, for, for a long time uh, has the name Kevin Harlan. Uh, you might need to help our listeners understand why that's amusing to us. So he's a sportscaster. I think he does He does March Madness. He does college basketball. He does pro basketball and he does pro football. He might do other things. That, those are the things I know about. So he started with – And he's uh, one of the most well-regarded. He's one of the top-tier guys. And he has a very recognizable yes. name. Uh, or voice, voice, voice. But people don't know what he looks like. Yeah. Uh, so he was with the Packers I think for a time. But he's better known for being – the Kansas City Chiefs. He was the voice of the Chiefs. Uh, and so Pastor Kevin Harland <laughs> moves to Kansas City okay. uh, to, to be a part of a church out there and uh, has a connection to sports. So he's on the Fellowship of Christian Athletes list in Kansas City for speaking engagements. <laughs> And so uh, this high school, um, sort of out in the country in in Missouri, uh, invites him in and uh, they ask for his bio. And he sends it to them, you know, been a pastor for X amount of years, been doing this, been doing that. And he goes to this PTA meeting, not not thinking of uh, anything. And he said, the parking lot is just packed out. (laughs) And he walks up and he sees a poster and it said, come here, Kevin Harlan, voice of the Chiefs tonight, 8 o'clock or whatever. And he walks in and he sees the woman who like scheduled him and she goes, oh, my goodness, thank you so much for coming. We so appreciate your work with the Chiefs. Um, So clearly has no idea what he looks like. Uh, She goes, I thought it was curious that you didn't mention your radio work. In your bio. Right. And he goes, I, I'm so sorry. I, I, have some, I have some very hard news for you. That's not me. I just have the same name. Oh, no. And this woman just goes white. white. 
<laughs> and he goes, but I have something prepared, so I'm ready to go to go on and, and speak. <laughs> and so uh, somebody introduces him. He goes up there and he said it was a it was a I believe it was a parent teacher association. And the crowd was like three quarters men. Yeah. Who never show uh, up to course. PTA meetings. Yeah. <laughs> of course. And he goes, well, I I have some troubling news for all of you. Um I'm going to need some grace this evening. <laughs> I am not Kevin Harlan, voice of the Chiefs. Um, what makes the story better is with his – so he's with this organization made of flourish. He travels around the country and he was on a flight. Uh, I, it almost doesn't matter from where to where. But the sportscaster Kevin Harlan was also on that flight <laughs> and – so when they got off the flight, they made a beeline for him. Yeah. And they started sharing stories. So he told him about this PTA meeting. He's received gifts for broadcaster Kevin Harland. Broadcaster Kevin Harland have rec- has received gifts that are for pastor Kevin Harlan. No way. And they were able to trade <laughs> stories back and forth about uh, about all this that had happened. That's fantastic. Um, I heard this story at the conference. <laughs> I thought of you immediately and thought you would enjoy it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy listening to Kevin Harlan, yeah. uh, the the sportscaster. I've never heard Kevin Harlan, the pastor. I'm, I'm sure he's wonderful. He, he was very nice. I don't yeah. I don't know much about him other than that. But okay. And his name is what? Ke- Kevin Harlan. What a life. <laughs> what a life. What a charmed life, you know, yeah. uh, to, to receive gifts for sportscaster Kevin Harlan when you were not sportscaster Kevin Harlan. Yeah. I mean, they, they should have. I hope. Do they exchange contact information so they can swap the gifts or is it just sort of like you keep your stuff, I'll keep mine kind of? Well, I think <laughs> I think gifts sent to sportscaster Kevin Harlan were much better. I'm sure. And so I don't think that was ever put out on the table. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. All right. Well, um, I, I don't know how to transition that. Was that. A, that's a great story. It's a great it? story. It's a great story. Good. Um, I, I heard it. I immediately texted you. I went – I, I have a story for the pod. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, speaking of stories that uh, we enjoy telling, mm. we should move into our discussion of mere evangelism mere by evangelism. Randy Newman. So uh, just a, a teaser. We did our interview with him, recorded our interview with him that will air uh, July 5th. So a little mm-hmm. ways yet. but uh, A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Great guy. Um but uh, yeah, we're we're uh, we had said we're going to discuss chapters four through seven. We're actually only going to discuss chapters four through six. Um, so chapter four, the stirring of uneasiness. Chapter five, the centrality of the gospel, and chapter six, uh, the value of imagery. So, uh, John, what uh, what caught your attention in those? I, I I think what catches my attention in many of these chapters is just. How intentional and thoughtful his approach to evangelism is, yeah. Uh, and and looking at it through the eyes of C.S. Lewis, I think is a is a good uh, framing. Uh, so in the stirring of uneasiness, it's really all about making them feel uh, their own hypocrisy and sin, mm-hmm. um, and and doing that in a winsome, uh, 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 generous way. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, I, I I really appreciated it and. Um, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was good. What were what were some of your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, one of, one of the things that I appreciate is um, this chapter helps us 
I, I would think, get comfortable with that tension. I think there can be a, uh, a, a, an impulse in evangelism where you feel like any of those sorts of tensions, like you feel the immediate need to step in and just give the answer or mm-hmm. just be like, oh, well, well, it's this, rather than letting that person kind of live a little bit in that kind of unresolved tension of, yeah, I don't have a good answer for that yeah. or I don't know how that works or you've hit something that I can't quite articulate. Um, so I think and, – and then even that he he gives some suggestions uh, on page 65 about how to actually create slash raise that tension and give some suggested uh, you know, uh, starting points, some, some statements, some questions. Um, and I think I think that's something where we as Christians need to be probably a little bit more comfortable with embracing some of that tension, even in our own lives, let alone in working with unbelievers. He tells a great story at the end of the chapter <laughs> where he and his wife are sitting at the dining room table for dinner and they start to smell something burning. They run into the kitchen, can't find anything. Uh, smell goes away. The next night they come down to sit for dinner and I, they say, they smell the same burning and they start looking in different places uh, and something old in the fixture had melted and was was burning a little bit. So yeah. it was any time they turned on the dining room or kitchen light, whatever it was, something started burning. Um, and, yeah. he, and it would take a while for it to to get hot enough for that smell to that's right. appear. Um, and he his, sort of his point is that it's hard to give a solution to the problem until you know what the problem really is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I, I thought that was that was helpful. Right, and I think sometimes we as Christians can be um, hesitant to to even talk about sin because uh, you know the, the the gospel can be approached in a way that's like, oh, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, like. Like you just need yeah. to, you know, to basically follow him, and and he'll make your life better, or you'll live the way you're supposed to, you know, like, and not actually get to the core of you're you are a sinner, like mm-hmm. you you have you have offended a holy God, um, and a good starting point is you can't even live up to your own conscience, let alone uh, yeah. uh, the standards of a holy God. So uh, yeah, I think that that was a helpful. Uh, <clears throat> helpful chapter there. What about uh, – th- I mean the next char- chapter, chapter 5, uh, centrality of the gospel. Um, it's just a good, straightforward, making sure you clearly communicate the message of the gospel. You, oh, yeah. You know, a lot of the book focuses on pre-evangelism, but this one is very much on you know, what we would – I guess could you call it evangelism proper? Yeah, may- maybe the formal part of, of evangelism. Yeah. Um. For yeah, sure. yeah, it's 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 certainly after the pre-evangelism. Yeah, uh, probably yeah, probably evangelism prosper is a good thing. And then chapter six, um, the value of imagery, uh, I thought was um, a really interesting take on um, on avenues into evangelism. Yes, yes, uh, this is the one I went like this. This is a big area that I lack. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I struggle to come up with these in uh, even even sitting here reflecting, goodness, what images would I use? 
yeah. is always a hard one for me uh, to come up with. But he, he's he's totally right that that Lewis used these images all over the place. Right. Um, I I even think some of my best illustrations is going back and stealing from Lewis in, in, in this way. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. What were what were your thoughts on imagery? Well, I think um, what I appreciate about this is um, that I think there is a – and I think he makes this point nicely – is that when it comes to evangelism, we need to make sure we're going after not just the head but the heart mm-hmm. in terms of that sense of uh, connecting with longing and beauty and things mm-hmm. that in that you know he makes a just makes a good case for uh, helping people to connect okay when you see something beautiful in the world or you experience something beautiful in the world that that's a pointer oh yeah that, that's that's a pointer beyond itself to something greater um, and to be attentive to those kinds of things and even using the the rich reservoir of biblical imagery that uh, is there in you know the Psalms or other poetic texts, or even in the parables. I think you could use to um, to help people connect with the need for the gospel uh, is something that I think I, I don't. I need to get better at as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, Anything else on that? I don't think so. Okay. It does provide a nice segue into our main topic today, which is uh, we've sort of put it in a a stronger form than perhaps we mean, maybe not. Although lots of other people did too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Our main topic is why are Christian movies bad? And what's funny is when you just – Google that. Google that. It (laughs) – <laughs> there is a there's a wealth of uh, of articles and such discussing this. So, uh, and we'll link to some of them in, mm-hmm. in the show notes here. But um, you know, I think we can start with you know we're making generalizations, mm-hmm. and um, you know we also I, I think we also want to affirm that there are brothers and sisters who are making good faith efforts. To make films, and we're not trying to like trash them or mm-hmm. you know denigrate them. We're, we're looking more just the at the product itself. Like when yeah. you look at the finished product, why, as a general rule, are Christian movies so bad? And so um, I'll, I'll just let you start. There's a lot of different directions this can go. I think so. When you when you first think about that question, what initially comes to mind about this is why Christian movies tend to be bad. So here's my here's my sense, and this is probably the only before even reading uh, or even glancing at some of the articles that we have. Uh, this this was my my one thought. Uh, Tolkien in I I can't remember what uh, what essay it is, but I think it's called On Fairy Stories. Mm-hmm. Talks about when the when the meaning. Um, of your message rises uh, sort of above the narrative mm-hmm. and it becomes obvious, it, it ruins everything. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and his argument was just just write a good story and your values will come out mm-hmm. in the midst of it. 
Uh, and so I think that's why Christian movies are bad is because what they're trying to do is so transparent yeah. that it ruins uh, the narrative. Yeah. Um, and after that, it becomes – they just don't have the money or equipment sure. or ability that no, – mm-hmm. no offense to these mega churches in Texas that are putting these on. You know, sure. but, but yeah, th- so that's – those are my probably two thoughts. What yeah. about you? Well, I, I'll follow up briefly on the on the Tolkien and uh, end of things because I, I feel like that is one difference to some degree between him and Lewis when it comes to their their approach to uh, to fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like Lewis tends to be a little bit more um, transparent without being preachy. Mm-hmm. I, like Lewis is not preachy, but I'd agree. Yeah, but there's still more transparency, I think, in in what Lewis is trying to do than what Tolkien is trying to do. I agree, absolutely. Um, and so, part of me brings that up just to say, I think, I think Tolkien is right, but I think you can probably be maybe a little bit more uh, transparent, like Lewis, and still tell a good story that's not preachy or where where the message. So transcends the story that you're like, oh, this is just a shell. Yeah. Um, there is part of me that wonders and we'll never know the answer to this. Uh, because Lewis had such success before writing Narnia and was such a well-known name mm-hmm. uh, that if he had just written Narnia without being uh, sort of this known uh, apologist and evangelist, if it would have taken off as much yeah. as it did. But, but that's an answer we, we could never know. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think you're right about the – oftentimes just the the money issue, right? Mm-hmm. Between budgets, equipment, quality of actors and actresses and such um, can make a difference. Um, and I, I, I think another angle I would go at is I think it depends on who do you see your audience as mm-hmm. because it's one thing – where if you if you say okay, I'm going to make a movie for fellow Christians. That's my audience. That's who I'm aiming for. Mm-hmm. Um, versus I'm going to make a movie that I hope has mainstream mainstream success as a sort of evangelistic or maybe even pre-evangelistic uh, film. Yeah, because what I what I regularly see in terms of a lot of these Christian movies is if they think that's going to be evangelistic or pre-evangelistic, they don't – sometimes I just wonder, have you met an unbeliever? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like do, do you know a non-Christian mm-hmm. or or at least do you know a non-Christian outside of the south where there's <laughs> just saturated cultural Christianity and so much of the air that – yeah, you know. Maybe somebody in you know in Birmingham, Alabama, might you know resonate with some of that. But realistically, you know, somebody in in Seattle is going to look at that and laugh. Mm-hmm. Like that's not the real world. Like that, yeah. that's that's not even. That, that, there's just no like connection point in their brain of like, how, how, what is that? Like so, how I does this connect what, to reality? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I also think uh, that. Back to your initial point, when you try to uh, – Christian movies tend to try to do too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, they feel like, well, we have to get the gospel in there. 
Like a clear like proclamation. Like a clear, yes. like, you know, traditional, almost like four spiritual laws kind of like God loves you. You're sinful. Jesus died for you. Trust in him. Mm-hmm. Like they feel like they have to get something like that in the movie itself. And um, I, I just don't think that's typically the best medium for that. Mm-hmm. And I will say when this happens sort of on – uh, a non-Christian side of things, like if, if there's an environmental message or if there's yeah. a LGBTQ message, like yeah. I think that drives me equally as insane. Where I just, I just like, oh my gosh, there's the message. You know, you know, it sort of yeah. ruins. It, it becomes right. bigger than the movie. Right. I, yes, I, I agree with that. So I want, I want to be fair in that. Sure. Description. And you know, this is, this is honestly, I think. Part of the reason – I can't remember if I said this on, on the pod or not. I know I said this to you off pod. I think one of the reasons that Top Gun Maverick has been so successful is that it doesn't ha- doesn't have any agenda mm-hmm. in it. Even though it's pro-military, it's not like this th- – there's n- no character in that movie that's like, well, we have to do this to defend the free world and we're right. Mm-hmm. It's just here's the mission. How are we going to do it? Yeah. The country's not even named that the that the navy is attacking. Like it's just it. And I think that's part of what attracts people is, okay. I just came here to be entertained. Mm-hmm. Don't preach at me. Yeah. Don't preach your social agenda. Just entertain me. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that that's you're right that there's that that can happen with Christian movies as well. It's like oh gosh, yep, because it, it can feel like the bait and switch. You 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 baited me in with. The appearance of entertainment. Oh, okay. Now here's your message. Like, yeah. okay, that that feels like you've you've uh, yeah, bait and switched me. Have you? What was what was the last Christian movie you saw? I generally try to avoid them, so I don't have to give an opinion about them. That's usually my play. Although here I am giving lots of opinions about right. them. Right. I'm trying to think. I struggle. Like I've not seen any of the God is not dead. Nope. I haven't seen that. Um. I'm not seeing – I'm trying – I'm struggling. I, I mean do you consider um, – I watched Half a Fireproof back in the day. I never saw that. Um, when I was in college, I yeah. watched that. Um, like do you consider Facing the Giants a Christian movie? <sighs> to me that feels – I never saw it. Yeah. Borderline because there's not a – I mean there's a message there. Mm-hmm. But it's not – yeah, I but I'm pretty sure that came out of that church in Georgia. Didn't I think it? there was a big church in Georgia that made that yeah. movie happen. Yeah. So, but difference there, that had um, that had some like big name Hollywood hmm. actors in it. So it wasn't like, you know, who's this person? Like no one's ever heard of these cast people because and, and that's not to dent like they can be f- good actors, but like, yeah. So yeah, I, I I just avoid them too. Did you ever? Did you ever see the movie that was filmed here in town? Yes. How was that? Was that a Christian movie? I have no, no idea. I don't think so. Okay. Okay. No. I mean, it wasn't a big budget movie, but um, what the guy from Lost in it? Yes. I remember seeing him around town. <laughs> I yes. Just like, whoa, that's John yes, Locke. That's John Locke from Lost. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, that was not. Um, I would not call that a Christian movie. I mean, it had a message that was. Um. I think very positive, but mm-hmm. I would not classify that as a Christian movie. Um, I mean, you, 
you know, you know people that were in it. Yes. Oh, yes. One of them sat in front of me at church the other day. <laughs> yes. Or yes. I yes. suppose yesterday. Yeah. 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 A couple rows. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So we went to the I, we went to the premiere because we're friends with that oh. family. And, um. So uh, yeah, I think um, uh, we'll link to the Jared Wilson article on for the church. This is written about five years ago, but. Uh, he it's entitled "Why Christian Movies Are So Terrible." He he lists five reasons, uh, actually six, I guess. Uh, Christian movies are not are are not made by artists, but by propagandists. Generally speaking, I think that's true. Often true. Yeah. Christian movies take place in the imagined reality of Christian sentimentalism. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Christian movies emphasize narrative tidiness over nuance. Yes. Yes, yes for sure. Uh, Christian movie theology must be contained in platitudes. <laughs> I'm wondering what he watched recently that was so frustrating. <laughs> no, because I I totally know what he's talking about there. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then he also has even the best Christian movie will never be cool. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah, as long as we're looking at like cool in the sense of appealing to a mass market. Culture, I think. Yeah, I mean, unless we're going to start calling Lord of the Rings a Christian movie, yeah, um, or even even Harry Potter a Christian movie, you know, with some death and resurrection uh, motifs in there, you know, you know, you can't. Yeah, it's never going to be cool, right? Um, yeah, and and that's not to denigrate <clears throat> brothers and sisters working in that area. It's just the reality, um, and maybe. It's one of those situations where you can actually do you can actually do more by doing less. Mm-hmm. Like if you approach a movie as let's raise this issue, let's expose this, and maybe hint towards a solution at best. Um, that that's that's okay. You know, again, I think some Christians can feel this compulsion of I have to get that gospel presentation in mm-hmm. there. It's like no, you don't. No, you don't. No, not in the movie. No. no. So, um, yeah, I, I just think also that the area of sentimentalism, the living in, in, in non-reality. <laughs> it always seems to can, uh, have an atheist or an agnostic guy who's an alcoholic or has a drug problem who had a child pass away and he blames God and all that. You know, yeah. that, that – yes, that seems to be a regular feature. Sure. Yeah. It, yeah, and it, it, can, it can certainly – they just seem to feed into the completely unrealistic and actually uh, at times I'd say a distortion of the gospel where it's like, yeah, this person's life's a mess. Come to Jesus and your life will no longer be a That's mess. That's right. That's right. Like th- there's not the nuance of, well, no, your life still will likely be a mess or like you'll have to be cleaning up the mess from your previous life before Christ. Yeah. It's not this like, oh, just come to Jesus and everything will suddenly just – get instantly better. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, any other thoughts on, on why Christian movies are, are bad? Um, uh, I mean, uh, uh, emphasizing the platitudes. I mean, I I made fun of God's Not Dead to a class one time. It did not go over well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I said, yes, the greatest argument to uh, God's Dead by Richard Dawkins was God's not dead. No, he's not. You know, sort of a joke that did not go over well with uh, with college uh, 
freshmen and sophomores. Yeah. Well, because, uh, again, oftentimes those kinds of movies feel like you're just preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you, you're giving this very sterilized, simplistic version of what could be a very complex conversation between an actual atheist mm-hmm. and an actual Christian. Yeah. That uh, just devolves into sort of gotcha moments of mm-hmm. C. Uh, okay. Yeah. Just not my cup of tea. Anyway, uh, are we ready to stop the gripe train here and move on to uh, today in sports? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, 1952, the Boston Braves. Uh, they're uh, Warren Spahn. Yep. Uh, ties NL record uh, held by Jim Whitney with 18 strikeouts against the Cubs in 15 innings. Okay. There, there's a couple things notable about that. First of all, is the 18 strikeouts. But what's probably more remarkable – They pitched 15 innings. He pitched 15 yeah. innings. I mean we live in a day where that's like three starts yeah. for a guy. Well, if you get like the ideal for each pitcher right now I think is to complete six innings. If you can complete six innings, you're in a really good spot. And it's rare to see seven, eight, or nine innings yeah. completed. Just a completely different era. Uh, 1974, uh, Nolan Ryland. No. Gosh. Uh, <laughs> Nolan Ryan strikes out 19 and 12. Yes. So along the same lines. Similar. Right. A uh, little more impressive. Yeah. Yeah. 19 in 12 innings. Yes. Uh, 1990 NBA Finals. I get the feeling we're going to have a string of NBA Finals. I, I only picked two, but yeah. there were more I could have. Uh, defending champs, uh, Detroit Pistons. The, gosh, tongue-tied. Uh, the See, Pistons. here's the problem. You did not do your typical warm-up exercises before the before we went on air. Unique New York. You didn't do it, and so you're struggling <laughs> now. Detroit Pistons beat the Trailblazers 92-90 in Game 5 for back-to-back titles. MVP Isaiah Thomas. Yes, the bad boy Pistons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, where was I? 98, uh, 1998, just yeah. to clarify. NBA Finals, the Bulls uh, beat the Jazz 87-86 in Game 6 for their third consecutive title and sixth in eight, season, eight seasons. Uh, MVP is Michael Jordan for the third straight year in yeah. six times. and that's the iconic Michael Jordan 17-footer extended fo- uh, follow-through game winner. Yep, and that was against uh, uh, goodness. The player uh, uh, Malone was on that team, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So Malone, that, that was the Carl John Malone, Stockton. John Stockton, uh, Jeff Hornacek, um, and uh, Brian Russell mm. was the uh, was the sort of lockdown defender, if you want to call him that. You know, no one locked down Michael, but yeah. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, and there were other NBA finals. I picked the best ones out of that bunch. So you got a preference here? Uh, I would like to go with one of the strikeout guys. No. Sure. Um, do you like Warren Spawn with 15 innings of pitching? Or do you like Nolan Ryan? I, I've i always – see, growing up, Nolan Ryan was still pitching mm-hmm. and it was remarkable. He, he was. He pitched into his forties, I yes, believe. Yeah, mid forties. Like he he was, he was like the Tom Brady of Major League Baseball at that point in terms of just like he retired for a month and a half, <laughs> going beyond playing beyond the normal shelf life. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I think we've talked about Nolan Ryan. We've, I think we might have even picked him as episode 34 maybe as our athlete. So, oh, OK. Uh, that's my guess. Um, so let's go with Warren Spahn. You good with that? I'm good with that. Yeah. I don't think Warren Spahn is going to come up again. Well, you have a little faith. Yeah, that, that might be true. All right. One thing you liked. Okay, so this last week, Monday to Wednesday, I was in uh, – I was in – I'm getting feedback. You getting feedback? No? Okay. Uh, I was in Phoenix. I was in Tempe, Arizona uh, at a conference and stayed at the Tempe Missions Palms, a destination hotel. Okay. And this place was stunning. Um Outside of being at a conference and hearing from, uh, you know, a, a pastor who is thinking through some things in really, I think, good ways. And Tom Nelson connecting with colleagues there was great from different schools. Um, and then, and uh, yeah, just, just being able to sit around and talk to people that I see on Zoom calls all the time. But being able to see them in person is really, really nice. And staying at a destination hotel in Tempe where it was 112 degrees. Okay. It was hot. Yeah, uh, but it was a dry heat, right? Yeah, but it was like <laughs> so dry that the sweat wouldn't stay on your body heat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's not the time of year. That's the, not the ideal time of year, I think, sure. for, for a trip to that. But Oh, uh, and the you should have heard. So the shuttle driver that was driving me to the place, I was like, okay, so how close are we to Arizona State? He goes, oh, we're right on the campus. And we're pulling up to the toilet. He goes, there's the stadium. I was like, man, let me tell you. I love Herm Edwards. That's what I told the guy. He goes, he eats breakfast in our hotel all the time. And I went, you're telling me I might meet Herm Edwards? And uh, he was like, maybe. Never happened. Ugh. Did not see did not see the Hermanator there. Ugh, that's too bad. That would have been a moment. That would have been a moment. That and the Kevin Harlan story. Uh, yes. Yes. You play to win the game. Hello? <laughs> Yeah, I, he's a he's a uh, he's an interesting human being for sure. Uh, well, my uh, my one thing I liked this week was uh, I was at a wedding this week. Oh. My my younger son's uh, best friend from high school, nice, got married, nice, and so both Jake and his girlfriend Autumn were a part of the uh, wedding party. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, it's just weird to see a kid that you coached in basketball knew since he was like um, a bit of an awkward homeschooled fourth grader um, now getting married. Hmm. Um, but the wedding was a lot of fun and um, just it, it embodied their personalities. They had a they had Christmas colors. Okay. They both really love Christmas. So even though they're getting married in June – they want uh, Christmas Christmas coloring. in June. Yes. So yeah. bridesmaids wore like a pine green and uh, Landon, the groom, wore a maroon suit. I thought you were about to tell me he wore a Santa suit. Um, <laughs> well, I, he might have thought of it. I, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me, hmm. which was kind of funny because it was supposed to be outside and then it was moved inside into one of our buildings here. Uh, the Heritage Hall, the old Rhoda Haver. Mm -hmm. And so they're up on the stage and at the back of the stage, there is a maroon curtain. Oh, did he blend right in? A little bit. Oh, man. That's <laughs> it was great. It kind of funny. It was kind of funny. So uh, just 
fun congratulations to uh, Mr. and Mrs. Landon Twombly. Twombs. Yes. Yes. So, well, we have talked uh, Kevin Harlan. That was a great story, wasn't it? That was a great story. Uh, We've talked mere evangelism. Uh, For next week, we'll talk chapters um, seven and eight. We've talked why Christian movies are so bad. We've talked about Warren Spawn. We've talked about... The great Warren Spawn. Yes, yes. We've talked about uh, John's time in Phoenix. And we've talked about a wedding. Hmm. I think, by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And so all that's left to say is, until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.